Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by Lacole here with Benji Nyson. He's looking overexcited. That means there's going to be trouble in this year at Italia Stage 6 recap from Grotte di Frassassi to Ascoli Piceno. They'd finished with the San Giacomo climb. Yesterday, we said it was 65-35 break to GC. It was a hard one to pick. There might be just enough to offer the GC men. The main climb in the middle of the stage was the Forca di Gualdo, 10.5K, 7%, then a ridgeline and another nasty 5K, 5% climb, not particularly steep, before a long descent, a proper descent for about 10 to 15 kilometres and then a false sight downhill to the final climb, 15.5K, 6%, steeper, the final ramp, 5K, 7.6%. Lower gradient at the start, it's more suitable for riders like Moscon, Castroviejo, and Ghana. And yeah, a difficult stage for us to call. Weather conditions were a bit poor at the start as well as coverage. So Benji's going to have to maybe, maybe Benji's in the helicopter rather race. So maybe he knows exactly <laughs> what was going on when the coverage went down. Well, uh, I don't know the exact reasoning, but let's go into uh, what happened in the uh, first half of the race. First of all, I think that what was special among this parkour is that. The start of it has a tiny climb, which means that a big break in form on that. And it looked like that because we had a 20-man a group suddenly gone for the first like 10 kilometers, including like every single name that we expected to be in the breakaway today. Mater, your pick for today's stage. Molema, my Giro preview pick for this stage. I think that we also had Cepeda, the name I mentioned as well yesterday, for example, as a, a large opportunity on this kind of stage. So a lot of people that have an opportunity for this stage to uh, to take it home if the break makes it. And uh, somebody behind decided not to let that happen because Betiol was also in the first group. Betiol, rather close in GC, I think, uh, relatively in the top uh, top 10 or something before the stage on a minute and so yeah. forth or something. And, uh, Which is really impressive. Exactly. After that, uh, after that fourth stage. But this means that Israel with the marquee was like, Okay, we need to defend the Maglia Rossa on the Marchi. And uh, yeah, that was my <laughs> horrible Italian. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Italians. Uh, anyway, uh, they decided to pace. I was, I felt that was questionable. I think they should have sent them in the breakaway or someone of their team we in the breakaway. said yesterday. Yeah. No, I said it as a joke and then you're like, oh, but that actually makes sense. Yeah. If, if Demarchi was not wearing the Maglia Rosa, he would have been in the break today. I guarantee it. Yeah. Or someone else on that team. So, yeah, you're right, Benji, but sorry, carry on. So they decided to pace that group down. They caught that group and then we had a smaller breakaway getaway again. Six riders, including Gino Mater and Mohoric. So uh, Mohoric for Gino Mater in the stage. Jimmy Janssen for Alpesen. We also had Dario Cataldo for uh, Movistar, Guglielmi for... Uh, FDG, yes, Ravanelli for, I think, Androni, yes, Androni. So six men gone, and then something odd happened. Uh, the gap opened up to a good 40, 45 seconds, and we had an attack in the peloton by two riders, Bouchard and Molema. And uh, the thing about this is, if you're in the front group, and you're, for example, Mohoric, then you have the galaxy brain idea of, 
oh god, Molimov's coming. Let's space as hard as we can to make this comeback as hard as possible. And Modric, absolute genius move, because I think that had an influence on today's stage, personally, because he forced Molimov to chase for like 25 kilometers or something behind that front so group smart. together with Bouchard. Such an intelligent move. Because Mather was not pacing in the front group, was just sitting on. He was saving his energy, making sure that while Mohoric was doing all the pacing and Mohoric was saying to everybody else, come on, dudes, start pacing, help me out here. And they actually did that. So Molema had trouble coming back. Eventually, the, uh, the footage died. And suddenly we heard, I'm not sure if it was from Ray's radio or if I saw it on Twitter, but I noticed that um, Bouchard and Molema were suddenly in the front group. And that was because there was a huge hailstorm at that moment and that's why the footage went down first of all then it started normally raining once we had some footage here and there once go once we were going into the uh the middle climb of the stage so a lot of coverage issues there next to that in belgium and the netherlands there was an x-ray issue where eurosport was having gray all over the screen which was not related to the rain in the race but it still happened so uh we'll talk about that a bit later on after the stage but that was uh, definitely uh, not entertaining, but it did cause a lot of mysterious moves because suddenly we had, well, them back in the front group, an image of that. We knew that was happening. A lot of rain was happening. They got their rain jackets on and so forth. Gap was roughly around, I think, five minutes and a half at that point, five minutes roughly. They go onto the climb, footage gone again, coverage gone again. We have no real clue what's happening, and it takes us until we get roughly towards the top of the climb with a plateau on top. Uh, to see one image or a few images. And that was suddenly rain everywhere in the peloton. And the peloton was being broken up by Ineos at the front, launching it like crazy. So, uh, yeah, we didn't see much of it, but what do you think they were trying to do? We didn't see when they started. Yeah. We, we, I don't know, maybe it's on the Velon live track or something, when Ineos completely started their action. I think we could be able to see it if Ghana puts up his file because he was the instigator. Filippo Ghana, and it goes to show how strong he is. Getting over the Forca di Gualdo, 7% climbs, 10%, 10K, 7%, and then have that rolling ridgeline and a sort of Norton Summit-esque climb, 5K is 5%, and he's just smashed it. And there was a crosswind at the same time. So we have this, it's the thumbnail of this podcast on YouTube. It's an, It might become an icon, maybe not an iconic image, but it's, it's a great shot of a group one, not including the break of Ineos with their whole team spread out across the road going uphill in a mountain echelon. It's crazy and I love to see it. It was just a shame the coverage was so bad. Up ahead, as Benji said, Mohoric rode this whole stage. Like I want to make a video on it of its own, how to ride the breakaway as the teammate of the stage contender like to perfection with the final climb coming up. Mader is the better climber than Morich. Morich pulled when Molomu was behind. He pulled on the descents because he can't go slow on the descents. He doesn't know how to, causing gaps people to close. He would do surge micro attacks, just an annoying pace. They had a decent gap of three minutes, over three minutes, so he could play around like this, forcing Cataldo and Co to close. Meanwhile, the whole time, Maida was the protected rider. They've got Maida going back to the car, got his vest on, getting food and stuff, Morich pulling, keeping the gap, and then forcing others to close. That tied Molima out is absolutely outstanding for Morich. I think the next move, Benji, was the random descent attack from Ciccone, Bardet, and <laughs> Betiol after 
Ineos, Ineos eventually were closed. They had dropped Avonapol and Co. I think briefly, although it was tough to see where Avonapol was and because he was wearing a grey jacket, not the sort of – it was difficult to see where he was. But they dropped them but then it came back again. When exactly did the trio of Bardet, Bertiol and Ciccone move? Well, it seemed to be on the, on the steepest part of the descent. Looking back at the Ineos group every so often once we had images, we noticed that the tempo was not insane down the descent. When it started being a more steady gradient and less steep in the descent, Ghana started moving to the front again and smashing those pedals. But I think that opportunity was taken by the three riders that got away. That moment where Ineos was not taking all the risks in the descent to try and get a bit of a gap. And that gap was quite solid suddenly, 40 seconds, which is relatively significant in the descent. But um, I was just thinking about where does this go? Where does this go after making this move? You've got Ciccone, who's uh, seemed to be the GC leader of of uh, Trek at this Giro. I, I, I thought it Definitely. would be at the Giro preview, but then the first time trial was horrible, so it kind of threw me off. But still, seems to be the GC leader. Bardet seems to be doing all right in GC as well, not taking time for stages, so seems to be focusing as well on that. And uh, Betiol is relatively high up in GC, or was at the start of this stage. So those three riders certainly are looking at their GC and they've got 40 seconds on the Ineos group after a bit of a descending. Then they had, they had a problem. Do? They had a big problem. Yeah. What do you do? Because there was, you're pulling against Filippo Ganna on a 3% descent. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to get a big gap. And that was the problem. And that's why their move was doomed. I didn't really like it. And then Chicone eventually stopped pulling in the move. And I was like, well, it, it would have been easy this whole time if your plan was to not contribute, to just sit in the wheels with Ghana pulling you to the base of the climb. Uh, and Chikoni looked, I think it might have affected the end of this stage, Benji, which we'll get to, but considering where Chikoni finished, it, it would have been definitely easier doing what Bernal did than Chikoni's move. Betiol was frustrated. And I guess Bardet in his defense, he's trying something on a descent, maybe Ineos crash, whatever. But the the breakaway had a decent gap over two and a half, three minutes. Yeah, about three minutes to the peloton, 2.12, 2.15 to the trio chasing them. And Ghana just eventually clawed that back. He brought Bardet, Betiol and Ciccone back before the final San Giacomo climb. He then kept powering away at the base, as I said at the start, not that higher grade. I should mention, by the way, DeMarkey's gone. Malia Rosa group, eight minutes back, all over <laughs> for them. Um, so they didn't really need to chase down Petty before. It would have been better off to get DeMarkey in the break. If, but that's probably not possible. Yeah. Maybe the Malia wouldn't have been let in the break, so it's irrelevant. Gunner pacing, we have a group of four now in the break ahead to – that have split clear, Morich, Cataldo, Molima, and Maida. Morich is basically doing all of the pulling, trying to keep the gap. So he's pulling head-to-head against Ghana with a gap of 2 minutes 20, 2 minutes 30 on this 15-kilometre, 6% climb. He pulls off after about 5Ks, fantastic work from him, and Molima starts to take it up, working with Cataldo and Maida. Meanwhile, behind Ineos, still Ghana, eventually it's Castroviejo, Benji, but... Did you notice like Ghana was who got dropped when Ghana was pulling? Benji was Bennett, uh, and then Foss went back. He was causing some damage, Ghana. Yeah, and the group was just falling apart because obviously the weather has been pretty terrible for half the stage now. People are having cold hands. You could see that from Vlazov just waving his arms around, trying to get his uh well well the wetness from his hands a bit gone and the coldness a bit gone. And um 
I think that a lot of people are feeling that and therefore the group was thinning out. But I have to be honest, I think that Gena just did the most damage of the entire Ineos train. And that's partially because at a certain point we saw that Castro Viejo was trying to take over and he had a puncture and he was gone. So I think that does play in the cards here as well. But yeah, certainly great stuff by Gana. MVP when it comes to Ineos on the stage, certainly. And setting things up for Renault up there as well. We saw that Ineos was also, uh, no, the Koenig was also with quite a few people there. I think it was Masnada, uh, Almeida, and uh, Seri. And then suddenly Seri was going to the back during a feeding zone. And True, yes. the biggest what the fuck moment of this entire stage happened because he was Unbelievable. just going backwards and you saw the red car of the, the commissioner on the right and then you had the bike exchange car on the left and it looks like from the right window of the bike exchange car, they were trying to give stuff to the uh, commissaire car or the other way around probably because they got the jacket the, the commissaire around, car maybe, yeah. and that jacket everyone's was, Everyone's dethrobing. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. everyone's taking off their jackets on this climb. It's not raining anymore at 17 degrees. Sorry, go on, Benji. Yeah, you're right. And that makes sure that the commissaires probably have to give the shirt back, the jerseys back, the jackets back to the to the car of bike exchange, which means that they're riding next to each other. But they don't slow down with City slowing down ahead of them. So the car just literally rides into City. And it just proves that the person that was at the wheel was not watching ahead of him. And that's an issue. We'll go into that issue separately after the race because yeah. uh, there's we'll too much to with the race. <laughs> Let's go. You can yeah. go. Castro Viejo begins pulling for Ineos. Gunners pulled off or taken a rest, but Castro slows down the pace. Pretty clear because George Bennett catches back up after he'd been dropped. We subsequently discover through a close-up that Castro Viejo actually has a rear wheel flat. And he'd gone back and it looked like he'd sit on the radio, I've got a rear wheel flat. It's kind of like (laughs) when you're not feeling good, you're like, my brakes must be rubbing on this climb. I must have a rear wheel puncture. As Lays DS said, Jonathan. Stop lying. Get back on the front. You don't have a flat. You're just not feeling good. But he actually did. It was completely flat. And that's why, if, even if he was doing fantastic, was he couldn't have been going very quick. So the group was swelling. It wasn't single file like when Ganna was pulling. The gap was very stable at about two minutes flat to uh, the group of now Maida, Molima, and Cataldo now all working in unison. Maida working quite a lot, looking smooth, looking very comfortable. Molima at this point is starting to rock a bit side to side. Castro Viejo eventually pulls again after Moscon pulls. Moscon was on the limit group. Everyone's moving up now. You see Soler moving up onto the wheel of Evanapol. You see Quickstep starting to get their riders in formation. The Ineos mountain train not really able to keep the pressure on not can not i'm not blaming their guys they're not the guys you'd expect to be there you'd expect martinez uh Sivakov, who's crashed out in the years past the sort of guys at this stage would be poles port thomas kwiatkowski not moscon at this point so moscon's at 5k so expected to do a hard pull he's not able to and eventually ineos allow quickstep to begin pacing uh, at the front of the race, which means that we, even upon must have been feeling okay, unless they were bluffing. Up ahead, Maida straight up just rides away from Cataldo and Molima. Molima tried to skip a turn. Cataldo said, I'm not closing the wheel. And it's one of those ones where attacks and sort of a little acceleration on a corner in the saddle, almost imperceptible, gets a two-meter gap. The other two are like, I'm not closing it. And then he just extends it. And Maida was gone from those two who blew up. So just like on Colmian, 
Parini, stage seven. Maida goes clear. He went clear from, I think, Paulus and Elisson then, now from Molimo and Cataldo. He's got quick step chasing him. They bring it down to 120, then to 105. Then it's down to one minute. Quickstep are looking good, but then it stays stable with Masnada pulling. He reaches his limit. Almeida begins to pull, and Ineos attack with uh, Martinez, Benji. Were you surprised they used him in that way rather than pulling with him after Moscon? I think that the Koenig was making clear that they were having riders enough to keep pulling, and they started pulling, and they started passing the Ineos riders, and the Ineos riders were like, yeah, getting overtaken. So I think that... That was the moment that they decided to change their strategy to try and try something different, perhaps set Martinez up so that Bernal can attack towards Martinez. And I think that's what they were planning. And I think it looked like that. But the recurring pace was a bit too fast for that because Masnada was honestly working really well today. And he was working in front of Almeida, but not for Almeida this time because Almeida was 100% riding for Remco today. And uh, God, Remco looked good. Generally, the second that I saw his face, I was like, okay, he's not dropping today. Uh, I truly believe. He looked believe. okay. No, no, no. He looked okay. The Belgian dream. Mate. <laughs> well, we'll get into why I think he looked just okay. Martinez attacks, presumably to force Quickstep to up their pace, whilst Bernal can sit in to see really whether if Almeida and Co. pop, maybe he gets to go over the stage. Martinez, maybe Evan Paul has to close it. Probably wouldn't be too worried. Eventually... Bernal counters. The gap is 30 seconds with about 1,800 metres to go to Maida where he knows it's going to be the Roglic Paranese Stage 7 again where the GC group are battling and close him. And it looked like that was going to happen. Maida had gone clear, big gap, but a K to go. It's down to about 24 seconds. Bernal's attacked. He brings with him Ciccone and Avonapol, who was on his wheel quite easily, but then Bernal sits up again. So Maida goes clear again and starts to gain more <laughs> seconds. But then Bernal put the hammer down again because he dropped a Vlasov. Lander's not here, obviously, but he's gotten rid of Vlasov and Hindley. Hindley was dropped ages ago and Nibli and co. Important he's just detail. got him, Dan Martin. Yeah. Important detail. The group that Bernal left behind had for Vake and Walter in it fighting for the Magliarosa. Continue. Exactly. And I didn't realize that at the time because I don't, I don't know. I just didn't realize. Anyway. Bernal keeps pulling as for quite a long time with Avonapol and Martin and Chicone sitting on him. If they've contri- if they contribute, they bring back Maida. Just like if Schachman and Roglic had kept pulling, they would have brought back Maida as well in Paranis, or if that someone was able to attack. But Maida kept going strong to the line. Maybe not. Maybe he was fa- fading again, but he just won this stage with Bernal coming round the corner, about a 200-metre lead on him. He benefited this time from more guys being in that GC group and them all looking at each other, and he got his first World Tour win. Not the Paranese win, but he's got a Giro d'Italia stage win for Gino Maida. I'm pretty happy after picking him yesterday, and he was at pretty good odds this morning. And, uh, yeah, just fantastic to see. He's a great climber. He was on NTT last year. He showed out in the Giro last year, and then disappointment at Paranese wins the stage. Back in the GC group, Bernal, sprints takes the second place and the bonus seconds which is pretty impressive considering that he'd been pretty much pacing the only one pacing for that group ahead of dan martin and avonapol chicone in that group two fifth then caruso martinez soler carthy at about 17 seconds after bernal vlasov 10th with yates and volta in that group as well what did that mean benji mathematically you just mentioned it for attila volta what does that mean? 
What does that mean? How dare you ask that to me? Attila Walter is in the fucking Maglia Rossa. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I didn't realize. <laughs> fucking amazing. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't. So how did he, how has this happened, Benji? Can you explain? Was he in a breakaway? Explain no. to people who maybe haven't been following him as closely as you or me. <laughs> or so. As you. <laughs> <laughs> we noted from last year in the Sestriera stage that he's a, a very decent climber. He got eighth on the last mountain stage without going in the breakaway. And he started this Giro a week before he sent me a message and he said, um, stage four might not be for me yet. It's too early. Uh, I need time. And then he went in the break in stage four and took the white jersey. So he's uh, he's lying to me. <laughs> and then, well, he was close enough ahead of, for example, an Avenipool in GC because of that stage. And he's a good climber on the steady climbs. I think that when it comes to the steeper ones, he gets in a bit more trouble, but I'm not 100% sure of that yet. Uh, Sestriere was also not the steepest one last year. So that does prove that a tiny bit. Uh, I think his biggest weakness is time trial, by the way. But as long as there's no time trial, he should stay relatively in the in the top ten, perhaps for now, for a bit. Let's hope that. So, um, I'm I guess I I'm saying that I'm glad that in the second stage he didn't decide to take ten minutes like we said he should to yeah. to go into the break <laughs> and take stages. <laughs> well, uh, stage four he went in the break. So now I'm seeing how this has happened. Stage <laughs> four he went in the break, the one Dombrowski won, and he gained nearly a minute 57 yeah. seconds or something on Egan Bernal so that's where this has come from so fantastic for him I think the first Hungarian to wear the Malia Rosa yes. um friend of the podcast and very excited for the young man we picked him pretty much we put the mocker on him and picked him for literally every stage he did the grand tour last stage year that had a mountain in it Okay, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Here's the GC standings right now. Volta, 11 seconds ahead of Evenepoel. Evenepoel, five seconds ahead of Bernal in third. Vlasov in fourth on 24 seconds. Landon not there anymore. Vervaika is in fifth. He's moved down a few spots. Carthy on 38 seconds. Caruso, 39 in seventh. Then Ciccone, Martin, Yates. Yates, the disappointment, I think, today, Benji, the wet weather is not agreeing with him at all simon yates oh, yeah. he's now on 49 seconds uh, let's say it to avon 38 seconds to avon on gc not insurmountable but he's looked second rate on the climb so far uh do you think it's just the wet weather or do you think we're just getting catalonia yates who just doesn't have it i don't know it feels like it's a bit of an inconsistency uh today i guess it's not like he showed extreme weakness today, but he couldn't follow the attacks that were decisive when it comes to uh, Bernal and so forth. So I'd say this is a a loss for Simon Yates. It's a sign that he's not consistent all over, and I think it's dangerous. I have said that I don't trust his consistency since the start, and it's also one of the reasons I, di- I didn't have him as a favorite for this Giro. So he can still turn it around. It's not a decisive stage for that. It's still only stage six in a Grand Tour. But looking how Evenepoel came from an injury and is growing like that, and all these other competitors need a good one minute and a half to two minutes on him by the time trial at the end, then uh, I'm very much, very much curious how where they're going to get those two minutes. And the only stage I can yeah. think of is if Ineos takes what they did on this plateau in the middle of the stage and does it on the Montalcino stage if the rain is bad, then that could cause a lot of trouble for Evenepoel, I think. But that's just a guess on my end. 
Bernal's got a, he's better descender than Ava Nepal, yep. better sprint. I think just better in the the rain and wet conditions, probably mm, better on the like really steep stuff. One would think as well, especially a combination of all of those wet and steep. But on a fifteen k six percent climb in sunny conditions, uh, even a pole is right there with Bernal. And with a headwind, it's difficult for Bernal to make yeah. much of a difference. Still very impressive from Bernal today. There was a headwind; no one helped him. Maybe Dan Martin and Ciccone threw away a stage win opportunity by not helping. The reason I think Avonapol was not having good legs mm-hmm. and was on the limit, Benji, is because if he had good legs in the last 500 metres, Bernal's been pulling the whole yeah. time. He wouldn't trust his sprint. He's not an idiot. He likes to attack early. I think he would have attacked for the bonus seconds and maybe time, but he didn't. He sat in the Bernal wheel, and I think that's because he was a bit worried about his legs. I agree, but I think that's also the case that it's still the first week, and I think that time is on Evenepoel's side in regards to progressing through you the Giro. You think he's immature? Think. No, I th- no, I think that's... I'm not, it's call- I'm not calling it immature, yeah, I'm just saying... I think it's due to the... very high IQ. No, I, I don't think he's doing it on purpose. I think that his level might not be at the level to, to run oh, away okay, from yeah. a Bernal, but I think that it's only going to grow, is my expectation, because he's coming from an injury, it's his first races since his injury so on paper he should grow but doing three weeks in a row he hasn't done either before so that might counter that effect so it's so curious it's a bit of an unknown but i seem to lean more towards i expect him to grow in the race and that could be very beneficial for the last week that's why we said yesterday i said yesterday make hay while the sun is shining if you're ineos and bernal yeah. Yes, but uh, we've never seen Avnipol in three weeks, but maybe he rides into form. You don't know. Maybe it could go the way you don't want it to go if you're Ineos. And if he's not looking good in the first week, 30 seconds or 20 seconds gained in the first week counts just the same as 20 or 30 gained in the third week. So I like what Ineos did today. I think they then ran out of gas in the last climb, a bit of a headwind too, and uh, there wasn't too much they can do. And maybe they're hoping for more chaos on the, the middle of the stage, and then that could have really like Avonapol could have lost eight minutes today, Benji. Yep. There's a there's probably would have been a moment where if Ghana and Ineos were able to keep that action going and no one helped in the group behind and he didn't have Almeida Masnada Seri, it could have been back in the Demarki group. It was possible. And I'm surprised a GC contender didn't l- really lose today. Hindley and Nibali lost time. Bennett as well. Kind of but yeah, a few of the topics before we get to the, the few of the topics uh, we want to talk about for the rest of this stage, I want to mention our show partner, LaCole. They have a Giro code for 20% off all LaCole items during the Giro for Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast listeners. The code is all caps LRCP20. Let us know. Tweet at us if you get LaCole kit. We want to see if you are getting LaCole kits. Tweet at us and let us know. Let us know what you think of it. Benji and I love it. I just stocked up some cold gear for my move to Andorra on Tuesday. The wall behind me just got painted, which is why I might be a bit delirious right now. But, yeah, I'm loving the LaCole kit, and we'd love to hear your feedback on it as well. Before we get into, sorry, before we get into the uh, topics, I just want to refresh what we had, Benji. Seri crash, bike exchange. People want our opinion on that. We just had a people tweet at us. Should DSs be allowed to drive vehicles, making decisions, collecting bid-ons, handing out things at 70Ks an hour on a mountain, Benji? Is that really, when we're talking safety, does something need to change with 
what's happening, particularly late in the stages. I think that we've been really lucky so far and that a lot of these DSs are extremely skilled at doing both at the same time because a lot more could have happened already in the world of cycling in regards to that. And I think it was you that mentioned last year on the podcast that this should not really be the case. So you said it, you, you said it before the problem arrived at our doorstep here. And the problem right now is that because the bike exchange person at the wheel, likely a, a code yes, was not attentive and was looking to his right. And he should not be doing that because a rider was coming straight ahead, literally in front of him, backwards towards the car, and he rode into his back wheel. And that's that's a mistake. That's a huge mistake. The guy should be taken out of the race. That's it. Done. Like yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think he's got to go. Just you can't have a car straight on riding over someone right in front of him. And it seemed to be that the non-driver side was handing the jacket, receiving it maybe from the commissaire's vehicle. I think the problem seems to be, Benji, the, these rules with the jackets and the littering means that we're seeing guys have to go back instead of they would normally jettison their jacket, maybe collect it later. You know, there's a reason why they don't have feeding in the last 20Ks. It's not for like a competitive reason. It's a safety Mm -hmm. reason that there's no feeding in the last 20Ks because you don't want to have cars up in the mix with riders getting dropped. It's not safe, and especially on these narrow mountain roads. So you now have cars going up and back, up and back with riders coming back just to hand jackets off. And that's created this problem. And I don't know the exact legality of it, whether they are still allowed to throw the jackets. The riders don't appear to think they can, so maybe they need a clarification on that end. My point is I came from it last year, and obviously I'm not a cycling lifer. I haven't grown up with it, and I don't think, see, oh, but the DS always drove the car. It makes no sense to me that you're trying to make decisions which impact like your whole franchise future whilst you're driving a car at 80 kilometers an hour on a mountain pass it when you can't even see a tv yeah. screen properly like there i know maybe there's 4g signal limitations that is maybe why there's the case but then on the Movistar doco benji i saw your man uh eusebio is in a cafe on the phone to the car the whole time yeah. watching it on tv so it can't there must be a case where they can sometimes have phone signal to the car uh so maybe that's the answer phone signal to the car and then they do. The, they need the radio, though. They need the, t- the the team radio has to be quite proximate to the riders to, for that to work. But maybe they can have someone watching on TV properly, monitoring, making decisions to feed to the car. So I don't think that's number one. But that doesn't really rule out the safety thing. So yeah, I don't think the driver should really be responsible for handling handing things in and out. But then. What if the rider comes on that side? I don't know. Maybe someone has more insight into yeah. it, but I think the de- the driver of the vehicles need to have less responsibility and not be doing as much. Personally, if guys aren't allowed to super tuck, then drivers of vehicles on the course shouldn't be allowed to do 17 things at once. Seems pretty straightforward to me. Anything else, Benji, before we get into roasting rye? <laughs> I think I agree on this, and I think that one of the things I would like to add is that, of course, there are some technical limitations towards the uh, – the signal that is being sent between the car and the rider, for example. But I think that there's things upcoming that might change. And I don't know how much implementation of 5G might influence something like this and how that will influence the way that races work. But yeah, a lot of countries are not exactly... Maybe uh, they, could, maybe they can well get Rye. They can, 
they can contract Rye to implement whatever technical solution they have, Benji. They seem to be pretty good with broadcast signals. I mean, <laughs> uh, we, we didn't mention it on the other stage that it rained, but it is unacceptable that you have the Giro d'Italia, the second biggest Grand Tour, the second biggest race in the world, having significant and extended dropouts during coverage when just the slightest bit of rain hits. What the fuck is going on? Can they get Rye... World Championships last year, the UCI did not have Rye as the host broadcaster. They used, I think, VRT, correct me if I'm wrong, Benji. And there's a reason for that. It's because Rye, whatever technology they're using or systems, they do not seem to be reliable. It's going to rain in early May in Italy when you're going to these mountainous places. And to just say it's raining, what do you expect us to do with the coverage? It's not good enough. The broadcasters are paying a lot of money for these rights. They are scheduling it and people are wanting to watch the race and it was an exciting part of the stage we missed today and they just simply they can't deliver a clean, reliable feed and that just seems – if I'm – I said it the other day, but if I'm the broadcasters, Benji, I'm hitting them up with uh, – here's what our fee was for the Giro this year. We're going to knock a little bit off that because um, – we had subscribers not very happy because remember, remember Benji. Yep. RCS don't sell RCS don't sell the feed to free to air generally. They sell free to air to Rye, but it's on GCN Race Pass paywalled, and then they sub licensed it to the SPS, so it is free to air in Australia, but it's generally paywalled. I think. What is, what about in Belgium? Is it behind a paywall? Uh, well, it's it's it on Eurosport? Eurosport, so it's on Eurosport on TV. Okay. But next to that, it's also on. Uh, that's cable. So that's cable, um, right? Yeah, that's, that's not cable. free to wear. That's the, indeed correct. And okay. um, so people yeah. are paying. People are paying money to watch this to these subscription services. Uh, so that's not good for those services if they're having dropouts. Having to explain why that's happening. Sorry, go on, Benji. Yeah. Additionally, I do also want to want to give a little sneer to how Eurosport was handled in in the Benelux today because for about two hours next to the coverage being pretty terrible when it comes to Rye as well. The Eurosport thing, there was some outage somewhere, and for two hours straight, we we were watching Grey Screen. And uh, uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people did so because I saw a lot of people on Twitter being annoyed by it. Then they ended up putting the rays on Periscope, which I found really funny because if you have to go that far to put something on Periscope for people to watch on the internet, for people that are watching on the TV, they're never going to watch Periscope. That is not the audience that is now watching a gray screen. <laughs> Those don't know Damn. what Periscope is. <laughs> uh, I don't know what Periscope is. Yeah. Anyway, hopefully it gets fixed and, well, it's not going to get fixed because that's a they need to do broad sweeping technological improvements. Tomorrow's stage from Notoresco to Termoli, no GC action one would think, 182 kilometers long with the finish being a slight uphill drag the last K is still nagging uphill, it seems. The second to last K is maybe 2 3%. The middle of the stage is where it's a little bit more interesting. With 56 Ks done, they do a 4.7 K 6% climb. Then there's some rolling hills, 2 Ks 5%, 1.5 Ks 5%, 2 Ks 5.5%, and another 1,200 meters at 5%. Which Ewan are we going to see, Benji? Surely he can get himself over these climbs. I think Nitsolo will be fine. I know he wasn't on stage three. I think all the others will be fine. What about Ewan and Groenewegen and Merlier? Do Bora try and spice it up that early, Benji? Because it's a 
it's 90k to the finish from the last main climb. Uh, I don't think that that is really going to do it, honestly. The only like steep section, steep climb on this entire stage for me is that Yeti climb, and that's way too early. But um, I do want to note that in the last section, it's a bit of an uphill sprint, which means that that changes things for me. That changes things for me in the sense that I think that it might be steep enough to put the peloton on a bit more of a line in the final. And uh, we know that that is caused by usually uh, corners or roundabouts and so forth, but, but a small uphill section can do so as well in the last four kilometers. And we saw that Bora was, was trying to use that a lot in Catalonia, if I recall correctly. This is going to be uh, not as easy because a lot of teams are going to be prepared for this one. There's a lot of better sprinters here than in Catalonia for certain. I um, I don't really know who I went for when I said it last time. I, I'm going for Nizzolo. I, I hope he wins second twice already in sprints. The man has no luck. Like at this point, I said it on Twitter, at this point, it's exactly the same thing like DiCaprio with winning an Oscar. It took so long. And the moment that it happens, the entire world will celebrate. And he's quicker than tomorrow. Yeah. I'm just going to say him as well, he's just what? because I support the idea of Nizzolo winning it a flat stage but i think that ah uh, the chance of you and having a good position again i'm not sure it's that high which means that i'm not overly certain that he's gonna be in a position to sprint for it again but i hope he will uh, uh i guess the thing I'm is going- if bora drop you and if bora yeah. drop you and it's not just bora that should help quebeca and cofferdis should help too as are well you going as to face that long nah what Guitar- six what so what, you're going to have five guys rotating, just the guys that aren't even in their final lead out with Ewan just being pulled by the boist 30 seconds behind? I think they might. And then they just break Ewan. They've done it. It's been done before. No, yeah, that's true. That's true. I think I'm... Um, but, yeah, Ewan is good on these finishes, though, these sort of uphill draggy ones. Like, he can be pretty nasty. Yeah. I, I'm actually not going to say Nizzolo. I'm going to say that Milan Milano will finally have a great lead out and Gaviria will win. Okay, interesting. He was climbing very well. Yeah. I'm worried about Terreno Adriatico. I think it was, I know he was a bit unwell, but there was this, the Gualdo Tadino cl- uh, stage that MVDP won. Mm-hmm. There was a climb, the Poggio della Croce, and I think Ewan got dropped on there. Four and a half K, seven and a half percent, a little bit closer to the finish and then uphill drag, but. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough to say. I, I can't say Ewan because I, I I just think Nizzolo is more consistent. He has been the most consistent sprinter maybe after uh, Viviani. So I expect them to beat Sagan. If Merlier and Ewan are there fresh, they should be concerned. But I can't have confidence that they'll be there fresh. Uh, but Merlier, he's climbing better than Ewan, right, Benji? Surely, Merlier, you, you don't think he's good on this sort of uphill drag? Yeah, I'd say that he should be good, but it should fit him, but it's it's hard. There's something about his consistency. Something about he's just, you know, anyway, Gaviria and Viviani and Nizzolo, just more consistent, more experienced in those sprints. What about the break, Benji? Tucker Vanderhorn style again, or it's just not enough in the final 90Ks? They'll be able to get organized, one would think. Yeah, I think that in general, there's not as many flat stages in this Giro and they need to use every single one if they want to win sprints. So that's why I For think sure. that Thomas Hand will be riding at the front of the peloton until the climb starts. And then we'll see what Bora does and what that influences. But 
I don't think the peloton is going to have uh, at least more than a. I don't. I don't think they'll give six or so minutes to the breakaway tomorrow. Personally, an interesting stage that I'll be watching closely. It's it's a really good type of sprint stage where you should be a bit more enthralled than on stage five but we hope you enjoyed the podcast if you want to give us a like down below on the youtube channel if you're watching there it helps out a lot as well as giving us a review on podcast players we appreciate all your support we hope you're enjoying the podcast the giro is really warming up as well as i feel like i'm, I'm in a bit of a groove now i feel like they made a pick a, a Bit, feeling a bit hotter now, Benji. Uh, I was getting a little bit roasted too much by people <laughs> from my Velo Games team, but the Velo, it's on the rise now. All right. You and winning yesterday, made it today. Life is good, but for how long? Luckily, I'm a humble person that never brags. That's where we'll end <laughs> today's podcast. See you tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 